Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys! I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. Hey everyone, today's episode takes us to Westfield, New Jersey. It was known to be an ideal location for an American family. It had the 50s vibe where you could greet your neighbors, leave your doors unlocked. It just felt safe. The crime lied within New York City, not Westfield, New Jersey. Westfield was ranked the 30th safest town in America in 2014. Today, we are talking about the Watcher House at 657 Boulevard. Are you talking about the show watcher? Yes. I love it. Yes. So if you didn't know, there was a recent Netflix miniseries starring Naomi Watts, Jennifer Coolidge, and Bobby Cannavale. Hottie McDaddy. Okay. That's the only name you need to know. I was really making sure I was pronouncing his (laughs) name correctly. I I think it's Cannavale. Sorry, Bobby, if we got that wrong. I know you're one of our biggest fans. Sorry, McDaddy. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, I feel like instant regret if he ever did listen. Um, So I'm going to just go right into it. While Westfield in general is known to be a safe town, there's one bonker story that I have to talk about that the miniseries does reference, and that's the story of the List family. Um, So this is the story where the husband that he kills his mother, wife, and three children at the home. Um, This did actually happen in real life. I thought this was like a weird side story in the miniseries, but it turns out it really happened in Westfield, New Jersey. Isn't that one of the only thing that's real? I mean, I know the letters were, but like, I don't know if the tunnels were real. Yeah, no, the tunnels and stuff, those parts are not real. There's obviously, there's a lot of creative licensing whenever you take a story and you make a movie show or whatever about it. But there were a lot of things that were real in the in the miniseries. The tunnels, I found nothing on that. And if you look at the style of the house, it doesn't look like a tunnel type house. Yeah, it's a weird thing <clears throat> to make up, but also I really enjoyed it in the series. I was entertained. Yeah. The miniseries was very entertaining, but there are a lot of true elements to it. So yeah, let's get right into it. So I'm going to talk about the List family first because the story was so crazy. And then I'm going to get into 657 Boulevard. So November 9th, 1971, not a recent crime when the, by the time the Broadus family moved in, but a pretty shocking crime nevertheless because of the town that it's in. Like I said, it's a pretty like idyllic type town. You know, you feel safe, doors unlocked, all that jazz. And just like the miniseries, this was an incident that shook the town. So John List was a devout Lutheran. He was raised in a very strict religious household. He was a Sunday school teacher and worked for a bank. He really seemed like an ordinary guy. He lived in a very large home. Some may call it a mansion. Uh, He lived there in New Jersey with his wife Helen and three children and his mother. The one odd thing about John was his lack of social skills. He was in and out of jobs due to the fact that he really struggled with social interaction. He was a priest? No, a Sunday school teacher. Oh, well, still either way, I feel like you need some social skills to influence any children or adult. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. And that's very difficult having a job nowadays, any day, but especially back then, because there's not like work from home options back in the 70s. Yeah, you have to be face to face with people. That's that's very challenging. 
So he was in and out of jobs because of that. So today he might have been uh, diagnosed with Asperger's or high functioning autism. Either way, he just wasn't socially sound. Um, But on the surface, he seemed like a pretty regular guy. So he did, like in the miniseries, he did lose his job and he pretended to go to work. So he knew that to his father, it would be very embarrassing to be on welfare. He was not about to go ask for any kind of assistance of any kind. So in his mind, he had very few options. One day, he waited for his kids to go to school. Once they were gone, he shot his wife in the back of the head as she was drinking coffee. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Then he walked up to the third floor of the home, and then he shot his mother. Then he went to the bank, he took out all the money, and he closed his accounts. Because he was too much of a pansy to go on welfare? Yeah. Wow. Then he actually cashed out his mother's money as well that he had already been starting to sneak away to pay the mortgage. Uh, Later, he waited for his kids to come home and he shot his three completely innocent children. His daughter, Patricia, was 16 years old. His son, John, was 15 and his other son, Frederick, was 13. Oh my goodness. This is so sad. I don't think it shared any of that in the show. It did share that in the show. Oh. He then went to cut his face out of all the photos that would be found in the home and drag the bodies into the ballroom. He left on every light in the home and turned on the music before leaving the house. He called the school and let them know that they'd be out of town for a few weeks to buy himself that time. His family wasn't discovered for almost a full month. On December 7th, they were discovered. The neighbors were curious as to why lights were on 24-7. When the police arrived, they came across a note titled, this is kind of weird, To the Finder, which is interesting because all these other notes are from the watcher. You know, it's just like, I don't know has a very similar eerie vibe. Very eerie. What's totally wild about this story is he leaves this letter explaining that he killed his family because he couldn't make them happy. List later interviewed that he felt his only option was to kill his family. Apparently, it also left a note to his pastor feeling like his pastor would understand why he did it. Yeah, that seems like a thing pastors would understand. Yeah, they won't. Not right a- on, brother. <laughs> In this letter, he basically said his family was going to have to face a world full of evil and poverty and didn't feel like they would turn to God. So he felt like he was saving them by prematurely ending their lives and sending them to heaven. Such a dick move. Then, again, if you watch the miniseries, you see this character comes back he's a suspect as the watcher he is not a suspect as the watcher in real life because he does get caught so he moved to Virginia he changed his name from John List to Robert Bob Clark he went by Bob for 18 years he went unnoticed he remarried and worked as an accountant it seemed like he completely got away with it until 1989 the first season of America's Most Wanted featured an episode about John List they took a clay bust and featured what they think he looked like 18 years later his neighbor recognized him it and he was arrested and charged with five life sentences. That is so cool. Is that like how they solved that? Yeah, that's with America's Most Wanted. That's interesting. Yeah, I just I, like that. It just blew my mind. I was like, no, I have to add this to it because it was part of the miniseries. It did happen in Westfield. It did not happen at 657 Boulevard though. So he did die in prison of pneumonia March 21st, 2008. So he did spend a while in prison. I tell you this again because it's in the town of Westfield and it was featured in the miniseries which I just had no idea was a real thing. And like I said, in the show, John List was suspected of being the watcher and never got caught. But my mind was blown to find that there was actually truth to this additional story. So that's a little taste of Westfield. It's considered a safe place to live, but there was at least the one crazy incident. And I just couldn't go without telling you that story. I appreciate that story. Uh, It's 
That's a scary one. Yeah. And again, that fact that that note was there that said to the finder, which seemed so ominous and foretelling to the next weird incident of Westfield, which is, of course, the Watcher. So now we're at 657 Boulevard. This home is a Dutch colonial style built in 1905, has six bedrooms, four baths, and is 3,869 square feet and is over 10,000 square feet of land. Now, if you watch the miniseries, everything is much bigger than that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember the specifics, but I think the house was somewhere like 6,000 square feet and it was on like an acre of land with a pool. The miniseries has a lot more land. This is 10,000 square feet. Gotcha, gotcha. So there's multiple fireplaces. And according to thecut.com, the watcher said, the boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it if you lived on the boulevard. So it was spring of 2014 that the Broadus family purchased their dream home in Westfield, New Jersey. Maria Broadus was raised in Westfield, only a few streets away from 657 Boulevard. Derek Broadus was a vice president for an insurance company out of Manhattan. Maria and Derek had three children, two girls and a boy. They were at the time the time of purchase, 2014, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Their dream home was purchased for the small sum of $1.35 million. I say small sum as a joke because in Texas, that's a lot for a house. Of course, if you're in New York, California, you know, that's usual for you. That's chump change. That's like a small down payment. (laughs) That's like a small, small condo in New York City. So this home was only 16 miles from New York City, so an ideal location for somebody that worked in New York but wanted their family outside of the city. Before officially moving in, Derek and Maria wanted to renovate the home. After a day of painting around 10 p.m., Derek went to check the mail and received a strange letter. Other than a few bills, there was a white card in an envelope. This was addressed to the new owner. So a lot of my research showed primarily excerpts of the letter. So what I say may or may not be the full letter, but it is the bulk of it. So the first letter read, Dearest new owner of 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I've been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched in the 1960s, and now it's my time. No, thank you. (laughs) That is so scary. I would freak out. Yeah, what's the second coming? Yeah. I know the thing, the show's called The Watcher, and it's The Watch House, but just knowing somebody watches my house, like, hmm. I don't, (laughs) didn't mean to make a gopher face. That was a major gopher face. Okay, so he said, um, or they said, Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Who am I? There are hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Ew. Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed that brought me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. According to a few articles, there were there was more in the first letter. They also mentioned the contractors in the home. The excerpt reads, I see you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Each letter was signed by the watcher with no return address. As any parent would, Derek ran around the house shutting off all the lights and he called the police. The policeman came into the home and read the letter. And then he looked up at Derek and he said, 
What the fuck is this? Of course, that was Derek's question as well. That's my question right now. <laughs> the officer questioned Derek, do you have any enemies? He also recommended to him that he remove any of the contracting equipment from around the house that could be used to break in. Clearly, the watcher was upset about the construction at the home, so leaving any of the equipment out could be a fitting weapon. Derek went back to the family immediately as the officer was leaving. They were still staying in Westfield, not far from the property, but they were not living on the property. Derek showed Maria the letter that night. They quickly wrote an email to the sellers of the home, which are the Woodses. The letter alluded to having asked the previous owners, bring young blood. So this put the parents on high alert. The Woods did respond by the next morning. They had only received one letter from their watcher and it was just a few days before they moved out of the property. They dismissed the letter as odd and threw it away. The previous owner... How do you just dismiss? Well, we don't know exactly what that letter said. I'm sure it was Plus, if you're about creepy. to move out of the house, yeah, you're like, wow, this is creepy, but okay. Like, Thank just, God I'm gone. Yeah, I'm leaving. <laughs> the previous owners lived at 657 Boulevard for 23 years and only received that one letter. But the Woodses were concerned for the new homeowners, so they accompanied the Broadduses to the police station that very day. That was nice of them. Yeah, I thought so. Detective Leonard Luggo... And I think it's Lugo, not Lugo, but I'm going to say Lugo, uh, was their point of contact at the station. He advised that they do not speak of the letters to anyone. Everyone is now a suspect, especially the neighbors. Derek canceled a planned work trip for fear for Maria and the kids. They were at the edge of their seat waiting for something to happen. Within the first week or two after their initial letter showed up, one of the couples from across the street came by. Derek was giving them a tour of the home and they made a comment that stopped them dead in their tracks. The wife said, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. Hopefully just unfortunate wording. It wasn't enough evidence to point the finger, but it was really odd timing. I know that is a term <clears throat> people use or have used, but still a really weird thing to say. Yeah, like, like fresh meat, young blood. Yeah. It is weird. Just, I thought that too. Like I, I was wondering, do do I ever say that because I'm reading it and it sounds weird? I don't think I say that. No, I feel like that's where I could be totally wrong. I hope I don't offend anyone, but I think it's more of like a guy's term, like locker room talk, like uh, fresh meat. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I could be totally wrong. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. I, I, but I feel like I hear women primarily, like fresh meat, maybe for men. Women, I hear say it talking about men, like, ooh, fresh meat. But even though oh. this isn't even saying fresh meat, young blood is a weird thing to say. Like, what are you, a vampire? Yeah. Why are we talking about? Y'all need to stop saying that. Blood. <laughs> blood. Stop saying blood. So a contractor came back to the home to do some work and one of his signs was ripped out of the yard. Two weeks from the first letter, Maria was picking out some paint samples at 657 Boulevard and went to check the mail. Another letter. The letter was misspelled, but personally named Derek and Maria Braddus. They spelled it B-R-A-D-D-U-S. This really indicated it was somebody with an earshot because they could have done minimal research to find out how to spell their name, but I guess did not. Again, primarily excerpts, but the letter read, I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought me. Ew. You certainly say their names often. One excerpt was talking about one of the daughters. Is she the artist of the family? 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Oh my gosh. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you let them sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I will know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know in who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. Of all the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard, allow me to watch you and track as you move through the house. Who am I? 
I am the Watcher. I've been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Again, incorrectly. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. That is chilling. That is really scary. I don't remember that in the show. I know show versus real story, but... I honestly thought this was a really creepy story, even though there's no ghosts in the story. No, (laughs) Like, no no ghosts, no murder. Well, except for John List. But, yeah, it's a really eerie story. Yeah, you know someone is obsessing over the house in which you and your... You keep your kids safe in, like... Yeah. (laughs) So... This is the point, though, kind of like Laney was saying, parents no longer wanted to bring their kids to 657 Boulevard. Among the neighbors being suspects, other sex suspects included buyers that put in offers on the home. The home did receive multiple offers. All that is really confirmed is it was being sent from someone nearby. nearby. That's really all a post office could confirm. No return address. There are no fingerprints. Nothing. Nothing to really provide any solid leads. Well, if there's no return address, doesn't that mean they just placed it in the mailbox themselves? There, well, there's usually some kind of like stamp on it from yeah from the post office. After talking to one of the neighbors, Derek was convinced that the watcher was the next door neighbor, Michael Langford. He was described as a Boo Radley type. Do you remember Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, <clears throat> but he was good, right? Yeah, yeah, he was good, but he he obviously had some special needs. Yeah, um, he left little gifts for the children in the in the tree. He, I mean, he ends up being a hero in To Kill a Mockingbird, but essentially that's just described as like he's socially a little bit different, but he's a harmless guy. Is essentially what yeah. that means. Like the guy in Green Mile, too. Stop. Okay. God, that movie rips a hole in my heart. And I saw, I watched it one time, like, not long after it came out. And I was, like, never watching this again. It was so traumatic. It's a great movie. But, yeah, traumatic. So, Michael Langford's whole family had lived in, lived in the house for several generations. His father died 12 years prior. The watcher had mentioned that he had been watching the home for the better part of two decades. He also was in view of things that were mentioned in the letters. So, to Derek, this completely fit the bill. When Derek took this info to the police, they had actually already questioned Michael, who denied knowing anything about the letters. Luggo, the detective, told Derek that unless Michael straight up admitted to doing it, there wasn't anything else they could do. The other issue with Michael is that he he was brought into questioning before the second letter was ever even sent, which seemed really unlikely that he would do something so risky, get questioned, and then send out another letter. So obviously upset by this, Derek decided to conduct his own investigation, According to the sources, he became obsessed with finding out who was sending these letters. Maria began to think he was losing his mind. What? Sorry, I was just thinking, like, that's what I hate about this story is someone is obsessing over their house and it turns the victims essentially into equally obsessed people. Yeah, obsessed with finding out who the watcher is. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and that is exactly what happens. It happens in the miniseries and it basically happened in real life. So Derek was setting up cameras and just hiding in the darkness of the house, just basically waiting for somebody to make a move. He mapped out the street and the Langfords were really the best suspects they had. Only a couple of houses could have made sense to what the letters said. They did also hire a private investigator and spoke with former FBI agents. One of those former FBI agents was 
Robert Layahan. He performed a threat assessment. Based on his findings, he believed the Watcher to be older due to the style of writing, but also they clearly didn't like what they call new money coming to Westfield. Anytime you hear like new money and old money, do you think of the Titanic? Because I always think of that with Molly Brown. Well, that's funny. That No, I don't, but I see what you mean by that. Also with Kathy Bates. We just talked about in our last episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the old money, new money. So they either didn't like new money or wealthy people in general based on some of the verbiage like you have changed it and made it fancy or the 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. Layhan also believed the washer to be angry, but probably not threatening because of because some of the writing was uh, written erratically. The former FBI agent recommended... What does erratic writing have anything to do with him not being angry? I don't... Well, this is my thought to that is maybe there wasn't like a plan to actually do something. They're just like angry at the fact that you're living there and they're trying to scare you, but maybe not like thoughtfully planning to do anything. Gotcha. That's, that was my take on that anyway. The former FBI agent recommended that the Broadduses look into housekeeper or relatives or their relatives or descendants. I actually thought that was really interesting because... I don't think that the miniseries ever ever referenced that, but easily could have been like a housekeeper that worked there for years and years. Maybe their kid came with them to work and they were running through the halls yeah. and they were just jealous or upset or whatever that somebody else was moving in. I don't that I don't know. That just really kind of piqued my interest. So it's possible that somebody was just jealous to be in a house that they couldn't afford. So there were a number of typos in the letter as well. Like the initial letter was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but June 4th was actually a Wednesday. This partly is what kept Derek's focus on the Langford family because like we said Michael Langford was not you know he he was sort of on the special needs spectrum somewhere and maybe that was an indicator that it could have been him or somebody like myself just doesn't always even know what day it is. The Langfords were brought into questioning a second time but Abby the sister accused the police department of harassment. Problem for the Langford was the mention of the easel that was on the porch of the Broadus house was only visible from the Langford residence. So Derek was obsessed with that family and he just wouldn't let go of them as being the prime suspects. I mean, in the show, I, I don't know if it's totally <laughs> true, but the sister portrayed really creepy. Like she, oh yeah, she she had something wrong with her. <laughs> She they, did. they were kind of surrounded by a lot of weird. Everybody was like, freaking creepy. Why? Why are you so weird? Why is this street the street to live on when yeah. everyone is just like cringy? Yeah. I again, they did take a lot of creative licensing, but having watched the miniseries and then doing the research, you can really see that there's. I think Derek is portrayed exaggerated, but also accurately because you know. I could see, like, especially his focus on the Langford family in real life, assuming they're completely innocent, he comes off as an ass. Yeah. And he does in the in the miniseries as well, just, like, so, not physically attacking them, but, like, attacking this family is, like, he really thinks that they have something to do with it. Yeah, he just slowly gets more and more aggressive. Right. He, de- he descends into his own sort mm-hmm. of madness. Again, maybe an exaggeration to what happened in real life, but, I'm gonna man, I... going to look him up as he also hot in real life. (laughs) Go make your own judgment. (laughs) That's a different show. So there was only circumstantial evidence against the Langfords, not really any hard evidence. They just fit the bill as far as everything that the letter said, things that they could see, uh, but that's about it. 
So Derek even hired an attorney to look into them, as well as having a private detective look into their criminal background and everything like that, too. There was nothing worth noting that came out of that investigation. So another weird thing, remember in the show when the couple that kept their lawn chairs faced towards the house? Oh my gosh, I loved them. Mama Boone. Mama Boone. That's a character from Nip Tuck. Which we Um, also mentioned last episode. We did. That's weird. Okay. Well, that really did happen, though. Um, They had their lawn chairs just faced at the Broadus' house. It was right behind the house. The house painter actually told Derek that he noticed one day that the man living there, I I think it was a husband and wife, but the man was just sitting there watching 657 Boulevard. Not looking at his own house, not looking at the other neighbors, just watching 657 Boulevard. That is so funny. I feel like that's like a a prank I would want to do on my neighbors if I knew them. Just Just sit there and stare at them. Stare at them in a lawn chair in my front yard. (laughs) So also in the investigations, there were two sex offenders that did live within a few blocks. Now I'm going to say not all sex offenders means pedophiles and nothing came of sex offenders either. Plus, based on what the proximity that the watcher claimed to, you know, be able to see, they, they wouldn't have fit the bill either. So unfortunately, the investigation basically came to a stop because there was no new evidence, no new clues, no new leads um, through all the extensive research. Derek tried covering all of his bases to feel safe in the home. Alarms were, of course, installed as well as cameras, like we said earlier. He looked into getting trained German shepherds and even uh, put out a post out there for military veterans to stand guard in the house. Or outside the house, I'm sorry. That's hardcore. Yeah, ultimately it came down to just wanting to feel safe inside their own home. And how can you feel safe after these letters or ever let your kids go outside? Then a third letter arrived. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It's coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it's my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. What the hell does this mean? Yeah, it's so freaking weird. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. What do you think this guy sees in the house? Like, is it an entity to him? It makes it sound like it. And like yeah. putting young blood in there like it's a living thing. That's super weird and creepy. Mm-hmm. So at this point, six months after purchasing the property, the family decided they just needed to sell the home. It no longer felt like an option for them to keep it. They weren't sleeping. Both Derek and Maria had reoccurring nightmares about the home and their kids. They were on medication for sleeping and anxiety. They were nonstop arguing. They moved into Maria's parents' house and Derek continued to maintain the property, but it was vacant. The tough thing about a house like 657 Boulevard is it becomes stigmatized. And we see this a lot in real estate now, not due to these kind of circumstances usually, but when a house has something, something weird going on, it it could be something simple. You overprice a house, it sits for a long time. Everybody starts, why is it sitting so long? What's wrong with the house? This house is so beautiful. Well, it must have something wrong if nobody else wanted it. Um, Of course, this house did have its own flaw, little or big, whatever you think. But there were a lot of rumors that were circulating about the home. And the, the rumors were all over the place. Not everybody knew about the letters. Uh, a lot of people did not know the contents of the letters if 
they did know about the letters and anything from like affairs to stalking, uh, all sorts of rumors were coming out about this house. So, well, that's going to be one of my questions is this is like 2014. Uh, like, how is this not all over social media? So they were told by the police officers to keep it to themselves because if everybody's a suspect, you don't want to start putting it out there or get copycats and just start causing a whole other mess. Yeah. So for the most part, only a few people knew about the actual letters. And of course, the rumors are were worse than the truth, as rumors usually are. The Broadduses really wanted to make sure anybody who moved into the home knew about the letters, but only wanted to disclose them to its full extent if they had an accepted offer. They would show partial letters. Their agent insisted they were being, quote, unnecessarily forthcoming, end quote. But Derek would have wanted the same thing for his family. And almost a year to the day from when they purchased the home, they filed a complaint against the Woods' family stating they should have disclosed about the letter they received. That one's a tough one for me because it's one letter and it was literally a few days before they moved out. Yeah, they just got one. They weren't getting harassed by a bunch of weird ones. Yeah, like I can't imagine. And I feel like their letter was like a goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it depends. If I was going to cross paths with them, I might be like, hey, here's this letter I got. But Again, who, like who's to say? I mean, I get that, especially for the Broadduses. You're in such a sticky spot financially, but I probably would not have disclosed that letter if I just thought it was like not a threatening letter, just what a weirdo. Like, I don't know what yeah, this is about. And you just toss it. If they got, you know, like seven creepy letters, then. Right. And they lived there 23 years. But it was the complaint, uh, filing that complaint that received the media attention. They were requested to give interviews by more than 300 different media outlets. Now, Marie and Derek did want to continue to keep their kids in the dark about this whole thing. So they did say no to doing the media outlets which kind of discredits the people that say they were doing this for attention or financial gain. And there were people that said they did this to get up like a movie miniseries type contract out of it. I don't think that is what they were doing. It just doesn't seem that way. But they did decide to sit down and talk to their kids about it, kind of realizing, dang, if all these people know about it, maybe we need to tell our kids before somebody else does. And they're like 13 to 16. I think they can The youngest is it. five. What? You're thinking of the list kids. Those were 13 to 16. Oh, you're right. Okay. Tell them five-year-olds totally Yeah, I think, I think it was five, eight, and ten. I'm like, preteen and above, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, because these kids didn't understand why they got their dream home and then never could move into it. So, they did talk to their kids about it. They talked about why they didn't actually move in. Of course, the kids had tons of questions. As far as the complaint goes, New Jersey... A real estate law does not require that the Woodses disclose the one letter that they received. Uh, They never found the note to be threatening, just a weird note. Uh, But once the media got a hold of the story, the home started receiving a lot of attention. Uh, Reddit users, as Reddit users do, were making lots of claims and suggestions trying to figure out who the suspects were. Now notice some of these suspects are a little bit interesting because you see them in the actual TV show. So again, this is from cut.com or thecut.com. There's a lot. They did a very thorough story. Um, So this is a quote from them. They suggested it was a, I'm sorry, let me just be very clear. Thecut.com took it from Reddit users that were suggesting it was a jilted mistress, a spurned realtor, hello Jennifer Coolidge, 
or a local high schooler's creative writing project. Hello, actor guy's name I don't know. <laughs> Guerrilla marketing for a horror movie and mall goths having fun. Mall goths? Yes. Um, some of those should sound familiar from the miniseries uh, if you watched it. So as people do, they were not very sympathetic to the Broadus family. They were sympathetic in that the Watcher was creepy, but not sympathetic to the fact that they wouldn't move into the home over it. And let me just say, people are so quick to judge judge. Any situation is easy to say what you think you do unless you actually lived it. If I was not a parent, I might, I might move into the house. They can like, yeah, "Yeah, you're not gonna keep me out of my house. But as a parent, that tends to change your views on things because you're not no longer just in charge of your own body and things that happen to you. I'm not a parent and I wouldn't move in. I mean, that's just, if someone's watching my house, they're watching me. I don't like it. That's, you've, Crossed no, that, yeah, it is. The, oh, yeah, so many boundaries. Like, yeah, I would feel completely violated by the things that are written in these letters. But when it comes to also having kids, you feel like you're in charge of these other lives now. When it comes to other lives, yeah, yeah I'm not going to move in. It's just the safer thing to do. So at the end of the day, uh, people need to do what feels best for them and for their children and whatever brings them peace. And if selling the home brought the Broadduses some kind of peace, why does anybody else care? It's unfortunate that they couldn't move into their dream home and took a huge financial hit along the way. But if they feel better and it has no effect on others, I don't know why people keep throwing shade. Is the part in the show true where they did uh, file for bankruptcy prior and then they built themselves back up and then they bought the dream home and then they were again? I didn't see anything about that. Okay. So there were a few clues to as to who the watcher actually was. It's believed to be a neighbor since many of the greetings started with neighbor and it's talking about the neighborhood. There was a DNA sample taken of the envelope. It was found to be a woman, which possibly would take the spotlight off Michael Langford, but then it kind of turned it towards Abby Langford, but her DNA was supposedly taken, which ruled her out. The investigators told the Broadduses that the Langfords were no longer going to be considered suspects. Others hired in the investigation was a security firm who could not identify anybody, uh, anyone to the actual handwriting. A forensic linguist was hired. They did not find anything. Um, even attention got turned to the former owners, the Woodses that lived there for 23 years. Their DNA was taken, including from their 21-year-old son. Nothing came of it. Then people started pointing the fingers at Maria and Derek themselves. Uh, Maria's DNA was tested because of course it did come out that it was a woman. Her DNA also did not match. There was one thing that came up which was kind of interesting. Another family on the on the street did receive one letter. It was similar and signed by the watcher. But unlike the Broadduses, but more like the Woodses, they also dismissed it. The Broaddus family borrowed money from a family member, created an LLC, and purchased another home in the area. This was to keep their location private, so it wouldn't say it was actually owned by, you know, Derek or Maria Broaddus. Gotcha. <clears throat> they did consider dividing the home lot into two lots and knocking down the home, uh, believing they could maybe sell off each lot for approximately $500,000, getting a million dollars back. So they would just be in the whole, like, what, 350000 Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. At a board meeting discussing the possible teardown of the home, the neighbors across the... First off, a ton of neighbors showed up. Uh, But the neighbor across the street actually retained their own attorney to fight against changes being made to 657 Boulevard. Which is kind of wild that you would go into that kind of financial investment to do that. Yeah. Definitely made that neighbor look a little bit suspicious. Because why? 
I'm not saying like you shouldn't care. Okay. I would care if my neighbor decided to knock it down and like built a skyscraper across the street for me or whatever. Like I, I do understand that. It's just a whole other thing to go into your own financial investment rather than like getting the other neighbors to support you or something yeah. like that. Well, that's what I love about this story is so many possibilities of who it could be. Like there's so many suspectful people. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit weird. Yes. Abby Langford was, of course, there at the meeting speaking out against changes being made to the home. She kept talking about she's been looking at this beautiful home for all these years and she doesn't want to look out at driveways or anything else than what she's been looking at. So ultimately, the board voted unanimously against any kind of teardown or major changes and an appeal was denied. So now, again, you have uh, the Broadduses that are very upset. The home's property taxes alone were over $100,000 a year. Oh. Yeah. This was turning into a huge financial mess. And even... Even though many believed Marie and Derek were trying to gain something financially out of this, the numbers really showed otherwise because they had the $100,000 in taxes um, and they spent almost $100,000 just investigating who the watcher was between FBI agents, security, all of it, all of it cost them so much money. Eventually, the home did get rented out with a clause to be let out if another letter arrived. So two weeks after the renter moved in, Another letter arrived. It said, Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. Wow. <laughs> I know, what a, what a beginning. You wonder who the watcher is. Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me. Turn I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the way this is written does not sound like the first two yeah, letters. Like immediately it. it starts getting nasty and it's it's just written differently. Turn around, idiots. <laughs> yeah, turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me. One of those so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good moved. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watch from the dark house in an attempt to find me. That part's creepy. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong in its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. The Watcher did mention the renter and that they wanted to seek revenge. And so in the revenge, they say, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel <laughs> sick day after day after day after day. What a drama queen. Yeah. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. So that was the um, main parts of that letter. The house really <clears throat> just means so much to this person. Yeah. <laughs> The renter did agree to remain in the home if cameras were installed. The rent was not even covering the mortgage, though. And to finish this out, I'm going to take the excerpt here from thecut.com because they really, they really did a thorough job on this. So the watcher was no longer the only person sending anonymous letters in Westfield. Last Christmas Eve, several families received an envelope in their mailboxes. They'd been delivered by hand to the homes of the people who had been the most vocal in criticizing the Broadduses online. One of them who lived a few blocks down on Boulevard had written on Facebook, I wish we could go back to the day of tar and feathers. I have just the couple in mind. Oh my gosh. I know. What is wrong with the neighbors? My God. God. I'm not gonna lie. Y'all are a bunch of weirdos. 
So weird. I'm not I'm not even feeling bad about saying it. This guy needs to just or girl needs to read a book or watch TV or something. Get a hobby besides this. Get a hobby. They might be like reading too many books and watching TV. I don't know. Um another family who got the letter told me it was weirdly poetic as the watchers had been, and that it accused the families of speculating inaccurately about the Broadduses. It included several stories about the recent acts of domestic terrorism in which signs of brewing mental illness had gone unnoticed. The typed letters were signed, Friends of the Broadus Family. The letter writer had clearly been infected not only with the Watcher's penchant for anonymous notes, but also a simmering resentment. One that had snaked its way through Westfield, making enemies of the neighbors. The people who received the letters didn't know who sent them, but the tone had a familiar ring to me. Again, this is the writer from The Cut. When I asked Derek Broadus whether he had written them, he paused for a moment. Then he admitted he had. He wasn't proud of it. He hadn't even told his wife. He said they were the only anonymous letters he'd written, but he had felt driven to his wits end, fed up with watching silently as people threw accusations at his family based on practically nothing. One of the people who received the letter told me they had never met the Broadduses and had no interest in doing so. The Watcher had been obsessed with 657 Boulevard and Derek, in turn, had become obsessed with the Watcher and everything the letters had set in motion. It's like a cancer, he told me. We think about it every day. Sitting at the Westfield Trade Station, Derek handed me his phone so I could also read the fourth letter. You are despised by the house, it read, and the Watcher won. And with that, that is the Watcher house. I love the mystery that surrounds it. Super creepy. Except who are you, Watcher? I feel like it's multiple people, but... Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. It's just but, so hard to say. It's yeah. so weird. It's so obsessive. It very well could just be one person that just... That's all they think about. Yeah, but isn't that crazy just to, like... I don't know. To have a story like this, it's like... It's like nothing happened, but like so much happened. Young blood needed for running the house. through the house. That's really creepy. Yeah, well, that's a great story. I know I'd seen the show, but I really I, I like to learn the real facts. Those letters are actually a lot creepier than the They're show. They're super creepy. Yeah. yeah. And to end this, the Broadduses did sell their home in 2019 for $959,000. So they did take a loss on it of about $400,000, a little less than $400,000. But in 2018, they did get at what we know as at least a seven-figure deal for the Netflix miniseries. Oh, good for them. So they did walk away higher than than they than they had to begin with. So at least there's that. Um, so with that, that is the official end of The Watcher House, 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. Thanks, guys, for listening. And come back and follow us on haunted.real.estate. And send us an email of your weird or spooky real estate story at hauntedrepod at gmail.com. And you guys have a great day. And I'm going to end it real quick with if you ever feel creeped out in your house, turn around, idiots. (laughs) Have a lovely day. Have a lovely day.